Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Speak Out Loud podcast. We are so glad you're joining us today. This is actually, we were, Stacey and I was talking about this, the first time we've been back in studio for almost two months. So hopefully we're not rusty. We uh, we had, were really fortunate. We, we started to figure this thing out and we recorded a lot of content at the beginning here of season four and, and tried to get all that ready to go uh, as we've been releasing episodes these last few weeks. And we are now at the place of needing to record some new content. Which in the moment you're going, oh my goodness, this is so much. All we're doing is hear ourselves talk, hearing ourselves talk about um, all these struggles and mental illness, but we really do find that once you get into the studio that you really do hit a rhythm and it's super, super important to you probably as the listener to know that, that that's what we're doing. We want to stay fresh for you. We want to just keep bringing you important information, but also we want to just keep um, letting you know how I'm doing and how our family is facing all of this. So yeah, excited to be here. Definitely. Well, and today we have a special guest and one that this is exciting because we did not plan this at the beginning of the season and, uh, but it's, it's been a great connection and we want to introduce to you Susie Gurley Mm -hmm. and Susie is someone that, uh, we grew up in the same hometown together and went to high school together. And Susie has been living in the Kansas city area now for a number of years with her husband and family. And Susie has just started a podcast this fall called just a mom which uh, I love your intro, Susie, and how you describe that. But we know that no one is just a mom. You guys have, mothers have maybe the the greatest impact on any of us, and especially our families, our children. And we're not going to steal your thunder, Susie. We want you to tell your story, and we're going to get into that a lot here in a little bit. Mm -hmm. But Susie's story and her family's story is one of having a child struggling with mental illness and reaching some stages of crisis and finding help and and that whole journey and i know you're speaking i think you're you've really connected to an audience susie because i think you're speaking to if not hundreds already thousands of people around the country Mm -hmm. um, particularly moms but parents who are maybe experiencing a very similar story and similar journey Mm -hmm. and we know that when our kids hurt we hurt and it's really no way around can we there's no peace in our, our lives when your kid's struggling and and we know that. So Susie, why don't you share a little bit about yourself and then we're gonna get into the bulkier story here a little bit later. Yeah, just what would you like us to know and what would you like listeners to know about you and your family? Well, first of all, Doug and Stacy, thank you so much for having me. It's really an honor and you guys are doing tremendous work and I appreciate that and I appreciate your vulnerability and just your openness and honesty to share, you know, your personal struggles. I know it's helping people. So thank you for what you're doing. Um, Yeah. So I'm a proud Bartlesville Bruin like Doug. Mm -hmm. Um, We graduated a few years ago. We won't say how many. (laughs) A few. Um, And I then went to TCU and where I met my husband, Dan, and we got married right after we graduated from college. And We've moved around a little bit, but ultimately settled here in the Kansas City area. And we have three children and their names are Jeff, Olivia and Will. And our oldest son, Jeff, is 25. I can't even believe that. And he's married to um, a wonderful woman, Madison. And they are in Ann Arbor, Michigan for a few more months and then they'll be going to Dallas. So we're excited about that. 
Uh, then our daughter, Olivia, she just got married in June. Mm. So she married her high school sweetheart. And they are in upstate New York oh, for the time yes. being. Yes. Wow. So far away. And we're excited to all be going there for Thanksgiving. And then our youngest son, Will, he is a sophomore in college. And presently, he is at Shenandoah University in Virginia. Yeah. Okay. Okay, great. So you're like us. So you guys are experiencing the whole emptiness thing and kind of navigating those waters a little bit, figuring out what that looks like. We're having a lot of fun with it. Okay. <laughs> we think it's pretty fun. I don't even know what we're having for dinner tonight. That, yeah. That's the thing. Don't have to think about it. I think right. the first week uh, when our younger daughter Riley was off at school uh, with her older sister, I think we went to Cheesecake Factory like at 9.30 at night on a weeknight. And I just texted them like, hey, we're just here because we can. You know, we're just here to <laughs> get right. cheesecake because we don't have to feel like we have to be at home and do another thing. Exactly. Well, Susie, as you mentioned, growing up in Bartlesville, we went to the same high school, graduated the same year. And for those of you that don't know Bartlesville, we have a few Bartlesville listeners, I'm sure. A lot of folks may not be aware of Bartlesville. It's just, I don't know, such a great small town. And I don't know if you had a chance to hear this episode. We interviewed Karen Ross. I did. It was really good. Our, okay. Share that episode. I think Karen said, you know, her her husband described it as leave it to Beaverland. But but we talked about just yes. a, a good memory. And so I was going to ask you if there's any just fond memories of Bartlesville and growing up there that that just stick out in your mind. There are so many, but just right off the bat, I think of the fun summer days, summer evenings playing softball and and like everybody piling in the back of my dad's truck back when we used to do that and going to Pizza Hut yeah. after a game. I mean, it sounds so like Dan would call it Mayberry. That's what okay. he would call this. It's called Bartlesville Mayberry. Yeah. But, you know, it was just such a different time and and. It was just a great place to grow up. So those are some of the fun memories I have from Bartlesville. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of, and I get to go up there every so often, but a lot of, just, yeah, a lot of fun things and, and yeah, don't get to go back enough, but well, I'm so glad we could reconnect yes, uh, for this podcast mm -hmm. and um, get a chance to have this conversation. So Susie, I want to give you an opportunity to kind of go deeper into your story. And I know is you've started your Just a Mom podcast and really speaking to other moms and families who may have a child battling mental illness. Would you just tell us, kind of open it up for you to tell us your story, your family story, as much as you're comfortable Will's Will story, and just what that's looked like for you guys and the impact it's had. And, and we're going to get to a few questions about that along the way, but maybe just paint the picture for everyone of, of the road you guys have walked these last few years. Sure, you bet. So, like I said, our youngest is Will, and he was um, a, just the life of the party kind of kid. From the minute he was born, he was always a happy baby, he smiled all the time. And then, you know, as a toddler and a kid, he was just always wanted to have a lot of people around him, extreme extrovert, loved his friends, loved being busy, creating. He used to um, get his friends to act in movies that he would, you know, write and direct, which is funny now because, you know, he he's kind of on that career path in a way. So he, when at age 14, mm -hmm. um, he started struggling and we had no idea and we get this phone call. We were 
in Arizona for our 25th anniversary. And we get a phone call from the school principal. And she was a friend of ours. And she said, hey, I just wanted to tell you that we have Will here in the counselor's office. He actually emailed her yesterday. So we called him in immediately. Um, he's depressed. He's been cutting. And, and I'm sitting here on the other end of the phone with my mouth completely on the floor because we had, we had no idea. And at that moment, you're thinking, well, what do I do? Mm -hmm. And so then, of course, we get the wheels rolling of what, what, what are we going to do? And when we ended up coming home, obviously, early from our trip, and we were thankful to be able to get him into um, a counselor within a matter of days, which is typically not the case. Right, right. Um, and we went to see her, and she spent a couple of hours with him, and she said, you know, he is clinically depressed, I believe. Uh, I think you need to see a physician. Um we definitely need to do a lot of work here in terms of therapy, but you need to go see a doctor because I, you know, she couldn't prescribe medication, et cetera. So that was when my husband's field kind of came in handy. He is, he's an orthopedic surgeon, but you know, we have friends in all kinds of different practices. So he called a friend who is a child psychiatrist, um, who our daughter had seen for years for her ADD and he said, you know what, bring him over. I want to see him tonight. Mm. And which, again, that doesn't normally happen. So we took him to see the psychiatrist and left with, you know, a handful of prescriptions, went straight to the pharmacy, got those filled. Um, and that was just the beginning. Like you think, oh, OK, well, it's all better now. You know, we got our medicine. And that was just the beginning of uh, months of um, therapy for him, weekly check-ins with the psychiatrist. He ended up going to intensive outpatient treatment. We talked at one time about hospitalization. Um, the psychiatrist was like, you know, since you can be with him all the time, we're going to see if we can do IOP, intensive outpatient, right. and see if that works um, to try to keep him out of the hospital. Um, so we did that for weeks and he slept on our floor because I didn't want to leave him alone. Right. We had a twin mattress right next to our bed on my side where he slept for several weeks. And the only time he was really alone in that really, really dark time uh, was when he was in the bathroom and I would stand outside of the door mm -hmm. and I would, you know, knock every 30 seconds. Will, Will, talk to me. You okay? Will. And that was our lives, yeah. our lives for months. Um, so he was, this was at the end of his eighth grade year going into the summer. So we didn't have school to, you know, sort of be a place for him to go. Um, so he and I spent a lot of time together. And then when Dan got home, he and Dan spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. And um, it was a it was a hard, hard time. There were so many moments of how is this going to turn out? Yeah, mm -hmm. I don't know. 
you know, I don't know how this is going to turn out. Is this going to be okay? And I remember asking Dan, like, and this is so unfair, but I'd be like, Dan, is, is everything going to be okay? And then I would kick myself and say, no, I can't ask you that because you can't tell me. You don't know. But I would want him to tell me everything was going to be okay, even though he, he couldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but as the time went on and he was still going to therapy three times a week, Mm-hmm. seeing the psychiatrist probably once a week you know, we started seeing the clouds kind of lift a little bit and it was subtle at first and Stacy, I don't know if you you know kind of can think back to you know your darkest times but we looked for things like oh he just smiled and it sounds so small but like a real genuine smile he smiled mm-hmm. or he told a joke that was huge because Will's a really funny kid, but for a while he, you know, there was no sunshine coming out of him at all. And so just kind of seeing those little bright moments of, okay, this is, I think he's starting to get a little bit better. Mm. Um, And at that point in time, so he would have been going into his freshman year in high school Our daughter would have been going into her senior year in high school. And then our oldest son was in college. And he was, I'm trying to remember, he was home for part of that summer, but not the entirety of the summer. And we were so silly in that we did not bring them into this immediately. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about it since then, like, what were we thinking? Did we think they didn't know what was going on? <laughs> did they think? Sure. Did we think that they couldn't figure it out? Mm-hmm. You know, Will's going to this meeting again. He's going to a lot of meetings. You know, what's going on? So that was foolish on our part. And we should have done, you know, family therapy. And how does this affect everybody? Because I know they were just as worried about him as we were. Mm-hmm. And for us to not bring them into that was not good for them either because we weren't addressing their concerns and their fears. And then they didn't really necessarily know how to help Will or how to support him. Um, They did a really good job anyway, but that is something that Dan and I've talked about, like, man, we did that poorly, really poorly. And we even, and have apologized to Jeff and Olivia saying, gosh, you guys, you know, we we are sorry. We were not great at that moment to y'all. And they've been exceedingly gracious and you know, like, hey, this is the way it goes. And you, know, you didn't ignore us, but, you know, we look back and we feel like we did yeah. ignore our other kids. I think um, I just think there's there's no roadmap. I mean, I think yeah. that. And, and maybe some with what you're doing with, with your podcast and just talking to other parents and moms. And, and hopefully what we're trying to do a little bit is, as I described what we're doing recently to somebody else, is if we could have had something, like what did we need when we were starting this journey years ago? And what would have helped us? Because I think we felt so often, and I felt so often for Stacy's sake, like she's looking at me drowning and I'm on the beach and I have no life preserver. And and then another picture that often comes to mind is like, I need to find a way out for her, for us. And I, 
I'm in a dark hallway and it's pitch black and every door is locked and I'm just feeling my way along and, and I have nowhere to turn. I don't know what to do, where to turn. And I think because this, the generation maybe ahead of us in this, there was such a lack of openness and a lack of you know, any, any kind of communication about this, as well as a lack of understanding to where there's been, there's not been roadmaps to, to help families, loved ones, spouses, even those that struggle say, Hey, here's, here's what you should do. Here's some steps to take. And so as I hear what you're saying, I'm thinking about, yeah, I mean, most of the things we talk about, we, we, we say we learned it the hard way. It's kind of the hard lesson yep. and, and we had to make mistakes and figure out what did we do wrong and maybe how can we correct that? Absolutely. Because you're right. We didn't talk about it. My parents never talked about it. And I, I've heard you guys discussing, you know, your journey and that yeah, mental health was not a word really we even knew yeah. growing up. So all of a sudden you're, yeah, you're walking that. It's like the, the nightmare that you have when you're trying to run down that long hallway and your feet won't move and, you know, there's a lion chasing you or whatever, and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to go and you feel like you can't breathe. I mean, there were so many times I would say that I was like, I feel like I just can't even breathe. Yeah. And, and you don't know who you can talk to because nobody's talking about it. And that's a big reason why I'm doing this is that was to our own detriment. Like in that, that summer period where, you know, Will was going to IOP and therapy and sleeping on our floor. I mean, I like shut all of my friends out and that was my choice. And part of it, I look back and think, yeah, some of it was just, I only had so much energy to deal with, right. you know, what was happening in the present crisis yep. and to spend time trying to explain and, uh, you know, and then being worried about being judged and oh, they're going to think I'm a bad mom. And certainly in, in Christian circles and in the church, we were not talking about it. So then that, there's that extra layer. So we just didn't talk about it yeah. except with each other. Mm -hmm. And um, again, to our own detriment. And once, you know, we did start talking about it, I was like, oh, that was kind of dumb. Why didn't we do that a long time ago? Because we're, we're not meant to do this by ourselves. Right. And it, it's a very lonely place to be mm -hmm. um, when you've got a loved one, a child who's struggling uh, with mental illness. And, you know, I, I joked about, it's not really a joke, but you know, if our kid had cancer or, you know, some kind of surgery, people would be bringing us casseroles. And when you have a child with mental illness, you know, there, there's no casseroles coming because, you know, some people there don't want anything to do with it. And to our, like I said, we didn't talk about it. Right. So there is that. But Will's the one who changed all of that for us mm -hmm. about talking about it. And um, he, yeah, he um, really set an example of how to be brave and put your story out there to help other people. As time went on, and 
just to be clear, this is not a linear progression, as you guys know. The mental health journey, it's a journey. It's mm -hmm. a marathon. Mm -hmm. And there have been ups and downs along the way. But from the time that he had his initial major crisis in April of his eighth grade year, through that summer and then starting his freshman year, he was getting better and we could see him getting better. So he starts his freshman year in high school and he's okay, but we see him starting to kind of go downhill again. And what we realized was that he was surrounding himself with other kids who also had some mental health struggles. And there's nothing wrong with that, except that he was trying to help them and they were trying to help him and they're 14, 15 year old kids. Mm -hmm. And so they really couldn't help each other. And so we start started seeing that cloud come back, that dark cloud, mm -hmm. and he started kind of sliding back down again. Mm -hmm. And thankfully, he realized it too. Mm -hmm. And he came to us and I'd already been praying about it. Like, okay, I think he needs a school change. I think we need to get him out of this situation. He's a kid. He doesn't know how to get him out of it, right. get himself out of right. it. So, you know, Dan and I would talk about it and it's like, well, if we force a change that could completely backfire. Yeah. Uh, while he's at school, I'm I'm worried that he's starting to do drugs. So I'm digging through his room, trying to see if there's, you know, anything that would show that I, I never did find anything, but over Christmas break of that freshman year, he said, hey, mom and dad, you know, could I be homeschooled? Mm -hmm. And we both said, hey, I don't know about that, but if you want to make a change, let's talk about it. We are very willing to explore other options, other opportunities uh, for schooling for you. I mean, I'm not going to say yes to homeschooling, but let's look at what some choices yeah. might be. So that started um, started us out looking for a new school, and he wanted to go to a Christian school. I think he really realized at that time he wanted to be around the light. Mm -hmm. You know, he wanted to be surrounded by and the language we used was you know, life giving mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. people, yeah. and and he had surrounded himself with life-sucking people, mm -hmm. and that was not healthy for him. So we visited several schools, and, you know, Dan and I kind of vetted him, and we're like, take your pick. Any of these would be great. And we ultimately let him choose because it was important that he wanted to go there. Um, and the choice that he made at the time, it was funny. We were like, oh, okay. That probably wouldn't have been my first choice, but that's fine. <laughs> And, but we, we were, we knew that it was a great place, but just, you know, weren't sure it was the right fit, but okay, let's try it. Ended up being an amazing high school wow. experience for him. Wow. And, uh, it, it's just, I've never been in a place where I've seen everybody so for each other. Mm -hmm. And he came home the first day of school his sophomore year and said, oh my gosh, mom, like, everybody just sits together at lunch and they talk mm -hmm. like that was yeah. new and different right. and that no one was excluded. It's like, no, you can't sit here. No. I mean, it's just 
everybody we're we're all a family and we're all friends and and I just saw that on display over and over throughout his high school career. So it was an amazing choice and change um, that was just truly a life-giving situation for mm -hmm. him. And he really flourished there. So in January or February of 2018, when Will was still a freshman at his prior school, he was watching the Grammy Awards and Logic performed the 1-800-273-8255 Suicide Prevention Lifeline song. Right. And Will was really struck by that. Like he said, that's so cool that here's this you know, famous singer and he's using his platform to help other people. So Will was always a big idea kid. I talked about, you know, he would make his friends be in movies and stuff that he would write and direct when he was little. Oh, and that. so he comes to us, he's like, Hey, I've got this idea. I'm like, Oh, okay. Um, I want to have a music festival. He loves music. He writes music. He sings, he acts all that. And he said, I'd like to have a music festival and I want to use music because it's a great equalizer. Right. Um, to bring kids in our area uh, together, and then we're going to talk about mental health. You know, I'm going to share my story, and I'll get some other kids to share their story. And then maybe by, you know, us being examples, then they'll talk to their friends, and they'll ask for help. And we're like, oh, okay, that's a great idea. And we figured he would invite, you know, some friends over. We'd set some chairs up in the backyard and call it good. Well, he had a very different idea, which he typically does, much more grandiose than we would have ever come up with ourselves. <laughs> and within a couple of weeks, he had the high school stadium booked. And he had all these people saying, yeah, we'll help you. Yeah, we'll help you. Oh, and then he books a professional sound company. And I said, huh, how are you going to pay for that, Will? You got to have some money. Oh, yeah, you're right. So he starts raising money, starts meeting with foundations, you know, who mental health foundations. And they're like, yes, here's a thousand dollars. Here's the world. Wow. I, I was. Yeah, he's 15 years old. So um, it was such a great thing for him to focus on mm -hmm. doing something for others. And even while he was still having his own battles, I think just putting that energy into this event that would help hopefully somebody, one person. And that's what he kept saying. If this just helps one person, then it's all worth it. So the time goes on and, um, you know, Dan and I are kind of behind the scenes talking about, wow, you know, he's going to stand up and share his story. Oh, that makes me kind of nervous. You know, we, we're finally talking about it with our friends, but thinking, okay, I don't know how many people are going to be there, et cetera, but all right, we're going to, we're going to stand behind him. And then because he was 15, he couldn't drive. I would take him to meet with all these potential donors. So we're sitting there meeting with a family that has a foundation here in Kansas city. And the reason they have this foundation is because they lost their son to, to suicide several years ago. And as Will is kind of pitching his little idea to them, I'm just looking at them and I'm thinking what they wouldn't do to be sitting in my shoes. Yeah. Wow. You know, they have this foundation because their son died 
and my son is still here. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, the light bulb moment for me in terms of getting behind Will sharing his story. Like, okay, this is it. You, whatever it takes, we need to do this. We meaning I'm going to be your cheerleader, your supporter, you're doing this. Um which was good because then the next week the media got a hold of it and they started calling. And pretty much every TV station in Kansas City covered it. The pay, the newspaper did. Uh, you know, there was a magazine that did a story on it. And we're thinking, okay, well, there's probably going to be a couple hundred people show up, which is great. So the night of this You Matter Festival in August of 2018, Dan and I are standing there at the gates of the stadium and we're just like mouths to the ground again because all these people just keep coming in, coming in, coming in. And there were a thousand people there that night to watch these student bands and and um, performers do their thing and share their music. And then these kids share their personal mental health journeys. And it was just an amazing night. But I still... I do remember when it was time for Will to share his story. And it's funny because I still do this every year. I like go somewhere by myself in the stadium. I don't want to be around anybody when he shares his story. And I went up to the very top of the stadium where there wasn't anybody. And I was like, all right, I have no idea what he's going to say. You know, Mm -hmm. still that concern of, oh, I'm going to be judged for being a bad mom because I have this ill kid and you know, and then he shared it and the exact opposite thing happened. So I start getting phone calls from parents who are like, Hey, my kid's struggling too. And I haven't told anybody, could I get together with you and talk or, or, Hey, my friend's got a kid who's struggling. Would you talk to her? And that was multiple times a week Mm -hmm. after the, the, you matter festival. And it just kept occurring where, because We know the statistics show us that somewhere between 50 and 60% of teenagers are struggling with a mental health issue. So that means they all got to have parents, right? Mm -hmm. And so those parents are probably sitting in the exact same position that I was sitting in going, well, I can't tell anybody because somebody might think I'm a bad mom. And it's funny because Dan said what I interviewed him or what we shared our story on the on the just a mom podcast dan said you know if if our kid had cancer no one would say well i wonder what his mom did wrong and it's so true but that's that is our mentality around this and the stigma surrounding it so i kind of quietly did this for a couple of years at least once a week phone conversations face-to-face meetings with mostly moms um, who had kids who were struggling um, a couple years into this, uh, there's a local organization that will uh, was asked to do a video. Um, they share kids sharing their stories via video. They do it you know, social media, and again, and they're trying to help break down the stigma of talking about mental health issues. So they asked Will if he would come and do a video. So of course I drive him. And while we were there, they said, um, "Susie, would you?" would you do a video? We've never had a parent do one. And we think that could be kind of powerful. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess, but I don't really think I have anything important to say. I mean, just a mom, but I did it. 
And then I sort of forgot about it. And it was probably a couple of months before they posted it. And at that point in time, I was not on Facebook. I wasn't really doing any social media, you know, like <laughs> a variety of reasons, but just not doing it. But, you know, there's Dan, you know, one night, like scrolling, scrolling. And he said, hey, that video that you did for zero reasons, why? He said, um, it's been seen 10,000 times. I'm like, uh, okay, why is that? <laughs> like, I didn't have anything special to say. And so we we started talking about it. And Dan, Dan's so funny. He's like, well, you have to do something about this. You know, this is, this is a needed thing. Obviously, you said something that struck a nerve. And I was like, well, yeah, that's great. I'll keep talking to people. I'll keep meeting. No, you need to do something with this. And I was like, yeah, all right, we'll, we'll see. Well, I think you, you know, and he starts coming up with all these ideas and I was like, okay, you know, slow down there, cowboy. I'm, I'm just <laughs> doing my mom thing. I don't know about that. And so, but I, I started thinking about it. I'm like, all right, is, is this God leading me to, to do something with this? And my immediate reaction was, well, you know, all right, I'll, I'll do a blog because I can do that and I can stay kind of behind the scenes and anonymous. And so I did, I started writing. I didn't ever share it with anybody. And what I found was, wow, writing's so therapeutic. Mm -hmm. I wasn't journaling or anything during Will's darkest times. And now I kind of, I wish I would have. I think it would be pretty interesting to go back and read some of that. But I did start writing about some of those times and I don't know if I'll ever share most of it with anybody because some of the things that I had to say, I think people would be shocked by um, unless they've experienced them themselves and they'd be like, yeah, so maybe I will. I, I don't know. But so I started writing and then as time goes on, Dan's like, okay, I think you should do a podcast. Like, okay, well, that's a great idea. I don't even know how to turn a computer on, right? <laughs> Same. Like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, Dan. I mean, seriously, I don't know how to do any of that. I can't, you know, that's not my thing. And he's like, no, really, like, you know, you could use your journalistic roots and interview people. And, you know, you're, you always ask people so many questions. And I, I think that'd be a really good platform. And I was like, yeah, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. And then, and then the kids were like, yeah, mom, you should totally do a podcast. I'm like, I, I have no idea what that even means. So, I start listening to podcasts because I'm like, I don't even know what a podcast is. And the more I started thinking about it and probably, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit's guiding, I was like, okay, hmm, maybe I am supposed to do this podcast thing. And then like my family would do these oh so subtle things like, oh, buy me microphones for my birthday. And mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, what am I supposed to do with these? <laughs> I don't do anything. And they sat in the box for a while. And so it, you know, I drug my feet on it for a long time. And I didn't really want to put myself out there. Again, I was in the background being the cheerleader and the supporter of of Will being the public persona. And I didn't want to put, yeah, you know, I've been in the background for 25 years and it's a very comfortable place to be. Mm -hmm. So it was like, I'm, I'm solid right here. Um, but God did not let me stay comfortable, which he often doesn't. Mm. So I started when Will went to college. So a little over a year ago, 
I decided I was going to do some personal coaching. And I'd run into this friend of mine who was, you know, doing it. And so we talked and it's like, yeah, that's a good idea. I need to figure out what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. You know, I've got this opportunity to, you know, do something different, something new. So our very first coaching session, I, I brought up this idea of a podcast and she said, well, what is holding you back? And I was like, well, I guess I'm holding myself back. I'm, I'm the impediment. I got to get out of my own way. And just something clicked at that moment where I was like, oh my gosh, this is what I'm supposed to do with this. Mm -hmm. This is what I'm supposed to do with this pain and this heartache and all those sleepless nights mm -hmm. and all the therapy appointments and the IOP times and the doctor appointments and the worrying and the praying and the crying out to God, like, please, God, save this child. This is what I'm supposed to do with this because there are so many parents who feel the exact same way that I did. And I know that from personal experience because I've talked to so many of them you know, prior to doing the podcast and they all feel the same way, mm -hmm. like alone, scared, isolated. I can't breathe. I don't even know what I'm going to do in the next five minutes, much less the next five days. I can't talk to anybody. I can't even tell my family. I can't talk to my friends. So there it is. And that's once I just let it go and I, I kind of realized that, you know, it's not about me. This is so not about Susie. Yeah, this is about the message, and that is the important thing that needs to be shared. And I've heard you guys talk about that. You know, you, you're so passionate about sharing this message, and that's exactly what it is. I want parents to know that they are not alone and that there's hope. And I do that by talking to parents, and they share some really powerful stories I've also started incorporating a lot uh, more like professionals, experts, organizations, because 99% of the parents that I've interviewed have said, I didn't know what to do and I didn't know who to call. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, we have a problem. We need to educate as well as help people know that they're not alone and there is hope. And I think so that's, that's such a, that is such a critical element. I say this from someone that's that's watching the struggle more than it obviously experiencing it, but the the double whammy of mental illness is the aloneness. You're not only yes. battling the illness itself, but you really do feel alone and you feel isolated. And I think there's an element yes. to it that's so sinister in that it makes you as the person battling the illness feel that way. But you know, the, the history of the topic, the shame, the misunderstanding, all those things. Yes. And like you referenced earlier in, in Christian circles, I think we're beginning to get beyond this moral component. But I know for so many years, you know, we were wrestling with that. Like, what what are we doing wrong spiritually? What, how are yep. we somehow failing to where this is a struggle? And, and people would unintentionally, maybe subconsciously or maybe consciously, that message gets out there. Like, well, if you just do this, mm -hmm. this or this more somehow you're going to be all better. And, yep. and this is the one illness that there's a spiritual solution rather than a right. medical, physical solution. And I think we've talked about this a lot of times. 
And I think you referenced this with something you said that you and Dan talked about earlier about, you know, we wouldn't we wouldn't feel this way if, if we were going through a cancer journey. And I think one of the yeah. things Stacy and I came to is and Susie you may have grown up in this this environment, too, where for us growing up, you know, you're, you're kind of taught in Christian circles in a church how to how to show your your testimony. And, and we would say, OK, it's about, well, my life was like this. Then I met Jesus. And hey, look how great my life is now. And exactly. it fixed all that, that. It fixed the problem I had before. But but that's not reality in many cases. And and for us, we said if we were walking a different health journey, no one would expect us to somehow reach a point of completion. And then we could turn around and speak. We would right. honor people that are speaking in the midst of it and talking about, look at how God is sustaining me. Look at how God is carrying us through this. Even though in my bad days, look at what God is doing. And so I felt like we felt like that's what we could do in the midst of this. And I know Stacy's done that really amazingly well. And I think that's where the hope comes and that's where the, the lack of isolation comes is that when we can bring it out and talk about it and, and normalize it and, and let people know there is hope that that that's the difference. And I appreciate what you're doing and doing that. Well, and just to speak to you know, Will, being ready to talk about it. And I really appreciate the fact that y'all didn't, that Doug didn't in my life and that you and Dan didn't in Will's life say no. No, mm. we're not ready yeah. for this. Because mm. there's something that happens when someone has mental illness. And I don't want to make a blanket statement ever, but I see this time and time again. When you feel like not living, it's so scary and so dark that when you choose to live, even if it's for that day, you want to take action and you want to make a difference because you feel so much better, even if it's for a moment. And so you do have people that want to do things and they're squelched by somebody in their life saying, no, no, sh you don't do that. No mm -hmm. time or we don't want people to know. And then we have simultaneously. We're for those of us who, you know, struggle so much, we try not to be in a comatose situation. So we see the stress and the burden and the fear in the people's lives who are trying to keep us here. And then we say, I don't want to be a burden. And then, you know, we're, we're kind of squelched for, for saying something. Well, of course you're not a burden, but we see that it is such a hard journey for everybody because everybody's trying to figure out how can we help this person not just be here for another day, but for the rest of their life? And so it's just becomes this, you know, kind of headbutting thing. And when you can speak out about it and when you can talk about it, goodness, if we've ever lived in a time where people are talking about whatever they want to, it's now. Right. You're giving that power to someone to say, will we don't know what this is going to look like and you don't know what this is look like going to look like, but you go for it. There's a double whammy fear and there's a double whammy excitement because the fear is what if this backfires and this boy who I love and adore and I want to only have positive experiences when he has been this low. He has so much energy behind it, excitement behind it. But the thing we can't forget is, is that it is mental illness is difficult and, and as much as it wants to take our life, there's something beautiful about it because you have a very motivated young man who says, I want to make a difference and see if I can help somebody else make it to tomorrow too. And look what happens. 
a huge yeah. positive explosion happens. And that doesn't just go, okay, well, we're right. You know, Will, you were right. Y'all said, wow, look at what this is, look at what's going on. And you end up finding a place in your life where you need to be, Susie, as a result of this. So see there, it's like a domino effect. Absolutely. And that's what I think is so beautiful about it. We have grown daughters and they can choose how they want to use this in their lives. But I know for a fact that there's one thing that's happened is, is they have realized and other people have seen, whether they be their friends, other, other spouses, different things like that, is that I don't have it all together, even though I was a mom, I'm a mom. And you said so much right there, Stacy. First of all, it makes me sad for anybody who has been told, don't talk about this, mm-hmm. about his or her mental illness. Mm-hmm. It really breaks my heart because we're just compounding the shame, mm-hmm. uh, compounding the stigma um, around it. So it just breaks my heart. In terms of being Will's mom, like that's one of the things that I find the most, I don't know if satisfying is the right word, but just like really joyful. Yeah. Is that, I mean, you talk about beauty from the ashes. Now I want to be super clear that, you know, this has not just all been sunshine and roses. Sure. And like, like, in full disclosure, Will's not doing great right now. Mm-hmm. And the good news is, is that we know that. And he calls and he talks to us and mm-hmm. um, we know he's safe. Mm-hmm. And if he wasn't safe, I would be there in a minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's he's getting through his semester and we're going to do some reevaluating when he's home for Christmas. But you know, he calls me and he says, mom, you know, I'm, my depression's not good. I'm, I'm a, you know, this is what, what's going on. And so I want to be very clear mm-hmm. in saying that, oh, this is not just a one and done kind of situation. Yeah. Stacy, I know you know that. I've listened to you guys talk and I know um, your journey has been, you know, a long journey as well. But the that we've been able to use the darkest of dark times Mm -hmm. and, you know, will at 14, 15 years old, set the example. And it's like, Hey, you know what? I'm going to put myself out there and I'm going to do something that might be kind of hard, but if it helps one person, then that's worth it. Mm -hmm. And I, I have no idea how many thousands of people that he, he's potentially helped, but I know it, it could be, that many and because he was willing to talk about it mm-hmm. and you know how cool that now i can say well, you know well, my son was a big role model for me mm-hmm. in doing this mm-hmm. because again i i'm really comfortable here in the uh you know supporting role so to be like what you guys are doing putting yourself out there it's hard mm-hmm. And you are opening yourself up to criticism and, you know, all kinds of things that you're thinking, I, this isn't what I signed up for, but it's, doesn't matter because this is worth sharing and it's worth 
doing because the message is so important. And at the end of the day, that is, that is what I rest on is that this message is important and God, you know, God wants us to shine light on it. Mm -hmm. You know, God doesn't want us to keep things in the dark. He wants to shine the light on it. So, Mm -hmm. you know, the just a mom podcast is not a Christian podcast per se. I interview people of all you know faiths and mm-hmm. or, or lack thereof mm-hmm. um but it's so interesting how many people i have talked to that their faith is a huge part of their story mm-hmm. or coming to faith is part of their story mm-hmm. um well i think all of surprise our, me. i'm sorry Susie, go ahead no you're good i said it just uh, it doesn't surprise me right but. i think what we our desire is to put words to a silent illness. And um, when a child says, I don't feel good, the parents can say, well, what hurts? And the child can say, my tummy, my head, my throat. When you have mental illness and you don't have any experience with that, and you have this child who you love so much, and they're going, I don't feel good. When we can help a parent know the questions to ask that child or that spouse or that friend and say, well, does your heart hurt? Does your, do you, do you feel anxious? Are you feeling nervous? If we can help put those words out there so that we can help that person identify what's going on with what part, then we can get them to help. And so that's the whole reason to start the conversation is so that that way, maybe a parent that's hearing from you, Susie, or a spouse is hearing from Doug or myself, we can make that journey a little less, you know, tumultuous, whatever that word is, hard, (laughs) difficult to get it going and help people get maybe diagnosed a little bit sooner or get them to the counselor a little bit sooner and we see a few less losses, we want to get to no loss, but if we can start to to help people with that conversation, hands down, you know, it's worth the, the criticism or the negativity of things. More than not, we are met with, I didn't know that that could even be a feel, feeling mm-hmm. for a 10 year old. Or I didn't know my wife could ever feel that way when she's smiling in all the pictures. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's just that's why it's so important to to um, go full circle in these stories and in these situations because um, they're they are so helpful. And I dare venture to say that when we're doing what God wants us to do, they can also be life saving. Absolutely. Well, I think it, it goes back to there's purpose in our pain. Right. And we know that God can take the worst of things. And when we share those with others, we're bringing hope and light to others. And it brings purpose to us. Right. I know you sense that. And we certainly feel that and sense that. I know really in our situation, Susie, I can carry a lot of guilt for what my family has gone through and what our days and weeks can look like. But I'm reminded by them so often and God that it's shown them who God truly is. I pictured things being different, I guess I should say. And I thought I knew what, how to get there as a mom and as a wife. But it's helped them because they've told me 
that it's helped them to lean into Jesus from a very young age because it's hopefully shown them, and I pray this all the time, that God has their mom and mm-hmm. that our family, even though it may look different, is just as it should be. And mm-hmm. that I haven't messed everything up because it doesn't look like another mom may have conducted her home. So how has Will's illness, do you think, impacted your family, your marriage, mm-hmm. your other children, and your relationship with them and their relationship with Will now that they do know they're on the inside of the situation? Sure. Well, I would say for my marriage, I'm so thankful that from the beginning, mm-hmm. I mean, Dan and I were on the same page. Mm-hmm. And I know that's not always the case. Right. And I've talked to women who've said, like, my husband doesn't get this. He doesn't believe this. Mm-hmm. He thinks, you know, the kids should just suck it up and be okay. Right. Or, you know, we're not going to therapy. That's yeah. ridiculous. Yeah. So I'm very thankful that we have been in lockstep from the get-go. Yeah. I think our marriage is probably stronger than it's ever been. Mm-hmm. We've been married for 30 years now. Mm-hmm. And I think walking through those hard, 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 scary times, it does either that, it brings you together. Unfortunately, sometimes it pushes people apart. But for us, it just, you know, we were just solid. Our family, once, well, they figured it out, of course, the other two kids, they have been incredible supports for Will. Like the whole You Matter Festival is a family event. So our daughter, the first year, she was, you know, helping with, um, you know, managing the stage and getting the acts ready for, you know, who was going on the stage next. And, and then she started running the social media the next year. And, and, and then she and my oldest son sang in the band or played the guitar, you know, so they, they've been involved in all these different ways to, to make this, this thing even happen. And that's been really cool to see, you know, them just support their little brother in that way. Like Olivia was a senior when Will was a freshman and there were, during some of those dark times, he would come and find her and sit with her and her now husband uh, (laughs) and their little group of friends in high school. He would sit with them at lunch and never once did she say, you know, well, mm, go sit with somebody. Sure. But she was like, come on, you know, come sit with me. And her friends were always so amazing to Will. And I, again, I just think that is incredible. That is that incredible. She was so loving and gracious to him that not one time and not one time have either one of them said like, Ah, we can't do this and such because of will Mm. or, you know, well, this happened because of will. Never have they said that. Mm. They have been nothing but supportive. And I'm truly thankful for that. And their spouses as well. Mm. Like that, that, you know, when you come in, you're, you're you're part of this thing here and you're part of the You Matter Festival and they have been and, you know, they're selling the merchandise and they're, you know, so they've all been incredible. Um. I feel so incredibly fortunate for that because it's not always been right. easy. Yeah. And they haven't always understood what exactly, you know, Will was going through. I mean, we none of us can 
ever truly completely understand, right, what another individual is going through. But they've been so supportive and loving mm. uh, to him that it's 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 really been beautiful to see. If you could go back, I know this is a tricky question, Susie. I know it is because we can't. But what if we could? Right. What if you could go back? What would you do differently in how you cared for Will with his mental illness? Well, one of the things that I have learned over the course of the last year of doing the Just a Mom podcast is I would have started talking about mental health the day that these children were born. Mm -hmm. I have said over and over, I wish I had heard all of this stuff 25 years ago. And when I first started the podcast, I that was not my mindset. Like, I didn't think young parents would benefit from this. I thought this is very, you know, for this specific set of people. I completely retract that now. And I say it all the time. Any parent could benefit from listening to these episodes and these stories and these professionals and these organizations because I wish I had started talking about mental health when they were little. I wish that I had, um, you know, really talked more about the feelings. And like Will says, I was an eighth grade boy. I wasn't supposed to talk about my feelings. Well, I wonder where he learned that, I guess, from us. And it wasn't like that was something we ever said, but it was understood, Mm -hmm. apparently. So I would absolutely go back and change that. And, you know, Stacey, you're right. Yeah, we can't. But Mm -hmm. we always think the woulda, coulda, woulda, shoulda. Let me ask you this. What do you think your husband did right? He did so much right. Like he was always, okay, we're going to call this person and we're going to call this person and very just led so well. Mm -hmm. I'm not a shy person or, you know, one that's typically like doesn't have an opinion. But when in in this crisis situation, I feel like I sort of just crumpled. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Dan, what do we do? And he just was like, okay, this is what we're going to do and Mm -hmm. who we're going to call and these steps. And he did so much right in that respect. And then he was so good with Will in the darkest of times, like, you know, he would come home from work. He'd be like, hey, Will, um, we're going to go to Lowe's. I got a little project to work on. He'd just be like, come on. And Will would go with him. And so he would get him doing something or get him out of the house when he was so dark and depressed. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, he's like, hey, there's this band I want to go see. Let's go see him. And he just did all these things that honestly he probably didn't want to do, but he did it for Will. And Mm -hmm you know, really put his life on hold other than going to work and coming home and and whatever it was with Will. Mm -hmm. Um, He did that for months. So he did that so, so well. What'd you do right? (sighs) It's a harder question, question. I know. Yeah. What did you do that you know, without a doubt, if you were sitting across from a mom at coffee, that you would be able to say, you know what? I did a lot of things wrong, possibly. I'm not saying you did, Susie. But what did I do that was right? It's so hard for us to be able to think through that, but you had to. It's still here. That's a really good question. And I don't know if I did anything right. 
but I know that I did whatever I needed and could and had the opportunity to do to keep my kid alive. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sleeping on the floor for weeks. Nobody really wants, you know, we don't want that. But I wanted him to still be alive in the morning. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't willing to take the chance of leaving him in his room by himself. And I guess that maybe that's the one thing I did right. That's right, because that's hard parenting. That is hard, hard. It's just, it's, there's hard parenting, then there's, oh my gosh, hard parenting. And you didn't do the simple thing of just going, you know what? He'll be fine. He'll be fine. We can't live life scared, but he was in a bad way at that point. And he wouldn't have possibly been fine. Right. Well done. We interviewed some friends of ours from here in Oklahoma City a couple episodes ago who've who've had a journey with some kids struggling with mental illness. Mm-hmm. And and one of the things we talked a lot about was that same perspective, Susie, was, you know, you just do whatever it takes. Mm-hmm. And I think yep. when I look at my experience with Stacy, probably too many times and probably what delayed her getting help was I kind of had to be pushed into that. I I was not as proactive as, as what it sounds like you guys have been. And I look back and I often tell people that's what I would go back and do different is I would certainly not just make these assumptions of like, if we can just hang on, things are going to get better. Six months from now, we're going to be past this. Like it's just a seasonal thing that, oh, it's just a bad stretch here. We're, we're so busy. We're worn out. Let's just make the environment around us somehow better. And that's going to fix it. And I think that's what I would certainly, in my case, go back and do different. But I think one of the things we talked about this other couple too was you can't make you can't make this a side project. You can't think, oh, I'm going to continue going on with my life as normal and just kind of drag my child or my loved one, whoever it may be, along. And hopefully along the way, they're just going to get better and we're going to, we're going to keep going the same way. You've really got to say, we're changing our life. And this isn't a side project. This is the focus. And we're right. going to invest. And I know that's it looks differently for different families because you know, whether it be work situations or whatever, but, but you've got to do that. That's the investment it takes to get better. And I, I, one of your guests said this to you, I was listening to a couple of your episodes and they said, I really appreciated this. They said, it's not just a marathon. It's a marathon with obstacles. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh my gosh, how well that describes yeah. this whole journey. It's like, yes. oh, not only do you want you to go to run until you can't run anymore, but we're going to throw obstacle pass in your way. Right. I think you've got to have that resilience to to find a way through it. For sure. And I want to say something to what you said, Doug. Like, I don't think we did a whole lot right, particularly in the months leading up to the crisis moment. Looking back now, yeah, there were things we should have seen. There were things we should have been like, huh, you know, we should probably get this kid some help. So I want to make sure and say, I that would be another thing if I could go back that I would have got him in therapy six months earlier. And pretty much every parent that I've interviewed to date has said the same thing. Right. Like, yeah, looking back, we should have. I see these things now that I that should have been red flags and they weren't. So you know, Doug, I hope that you can give yourself a little more sure. grace there because yeah. I think that we all we all yeah. feel that when we, we have someone some we way. love. And 
and yes. thankfully we're we're where we are now and and they're still learning i mean stacy yes. and i we can all not joke in the moment but we can joke afterwards it's like sometimes there's that look or that phrase like hey man are you new around here you know we still <laughs> have those moments and i i found now what yeah. i can do is i can because stacy has has made progress and certainly not perfection not wellness but progress i can sometimes take the good days for granted when i forget about oh man mm. 10 years ago we never had a moment like this mm. and, and what a gift it is that we now have those moments but i can almost take them for granted and let sure. and let some of the the things creep back in just because we're not being on guard and that's maybe yeah. something we have to be careful of Susie, I want to circle back to a, something you said just a minute earlier, only because I've had a very similar experience. Stacey and I have talked, she's talked about this very openly. You know, there was a season about eight years ago in our life where Stacy was in an in, inpatient eating disorder program for about four right. months. What we thought was going to be mm -hmm. six weeks turned into a four-month stay. Right. Very fortunate it was only 100 miles from home in Tulsa compared to Oklahoma right. City. So we were together as much as we could be, but she was living in Tulsa for four months and I was here with our younger daughter in Oklahoma City, who was still in, at home in high school. And I remember the, the program had once a month, these really super well done family weeks. And so I would try, I went several times and I, I went, I remember sitting in a session with other family members and I can't, I can't even remember who said it, but this was eight years ago. Somebody said, you know, nobody brings a casserole when your loved ones in, a, in an eating disorder program or a mental hospital certainly reflects on that, whether it be church life, community life, neighborhood life, whatever it may be, this practice we seem to all have of, of hey, so-and-so's had surgery, let's take them, you know, something to eat. Mm -hmm. And yet, I, and I think it's not so much people rejecting us as much as it is, and I really, really believe this, they just don't know what to do or to say. But yet, Absolutely. we, you know, for four months, we were in that situation and I think we had one time, one meal brought to us by one friend at the very beginning of that stretch. And I remember even telling it, telling this to somebody, I said, you know, my wife's not at a spa. It's not like she's off yeah. at a spa, she's on vacation. A, a long break. Mm -hmm. They call it ICU for a reason. And I, and I, and I saw this person cause they really did love us and care about us. It was like the light bulb just went on their head. Like, Oh, Oh, she's been in a hospital. Oh my God. So I think there's a lot of that, but, but in your experience, what have you found just as in finding support and maybe now what encouragement do you give to other moms and other parents about how can you find support for your journey? Cause I think as a caregiver to walk it alone is, is really difficult and hard when you feel like I have nowhere to turn to talk about this. Right. One thing that I always tell people is, if it's just one friend, but find one or two trusted friends to share it with, mm -hmm. because, you know, that burden just gets lifted yeah. to a certain degree when you've got someone who who's on the inside. And I learned that the hard way because I didn't do it for a while. But once I did, it was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe it took me so long to do this. This is another thing that I didn't do that I wish we would have done is find a support group like the National Alliance for Mental Illness that has chapters all over the country and they have support groups for family members, parents, spouses um, that are really helpful. And I've talked to people who've gone to them and they find a lot of of comfort because 
you don't have to start this whole story from the beginning because you're with people who get it. And that was some uh, one mom that I just interviewed a couple of weeks ago. She said, you know, it's so nice to be able to talk to these people because I didn't have to just tell everything. They get it. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was huge. Mm -hmm. So you can find a community who has experience in, in this realm and there's some comfort there and also some valuable information you might learn about you know, a new therapist or Mm -hmm. a group or something that could be helpful to your family member who's struggling. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would say to that. But don't go it alone. Like, you know, yours truly did foolishly for a while. Well, and I want to challenge people who are listening. You, and this is 100% a challenge in love. Anytime somebody is going through something, whether it be something that, especially if it's something that's not talked about, it's kind of the taboo topic, even though mental illness is kind of the pop word right now, it hasn't always been. And I want to challenge you to not let that family or that person go into the shadows and be forgotten. They won't make it. They will not make it out because we are called and created to live in community. But right. even at the risk of saying something wrong, say it, yeah. say something, say something, say mm-hmm. something. hug them, um, let them know that you see them. Don't assume yep. that someone else is doing what you need to do. Mm-hmm. We are always going to be challenged to say the right thing. But we so desperately we're, if it's the person with the mental illness, I can look high functioning. Yes. I can be screaming on the inside. Someone, please, can you just say, hey, make eye contact with me. And that's not to say we've got to carry each other all the time. But if there's nobody in your life that you're reaching out to and doing the hard thing with, you're missing it. Absolutely. Make it about somebody. Make it about somebody else. Make it about getting them to help. Make it the, your goal to be able to be that one that can sit with them and not fix them. Yes. That's what I say. I'm like, you know, I had this little inner circle of friends and they just sat in the mud with me. That's right. And that's what it was. Mm-hmm. They just sat in the mud with me. I've like, had, we don't know. People we don't are so answers. miserable when they can't fix when they can't fix. And I get it. I'm a mom. I'm a wife. There've been times where I want to fix things so bad because of the wake that mental illness has made in my family. It leaves quite a destructive path in many ways. But you know, if we just leave the fixing to the Lord and to the professionals and just sit with each other and go, I'm going to help you get from this moment to the next moment. And we're going to make it. In- it's the power of presence. Yes. And I, and I, I think it was actually Stacy's great about listening kind of almost every day to Rick Warren and his podcast. And she'll mm-hmm. bring me things that she says, you got to hear this. He said, you know, the, the deeper the hurt, the less words you have to use. The deeper the hurt, you just be there for somebody. Yeah. Be with them, sit with them, talk, you know, just be a, their presence is what will help carry you through. Yeah, because no matter what, if someone's lost a child or someone has a child that's deeply hurt, or or whatever they're going through, it doesn't matter if you're if you're the greatest counselor, therapist, or pastor in the world, 
at that moment, probably what you say is not going to come in and just be like, oh, it's the magic wand and everything's right. better. Right. It's, you're still going to be suffering and struggling, mm. yeah. but you're going to know I'm not in this alone. And I think that's, that's the beauty of this is, is if we're not alone, we can endure, we can find help, we can be resilient. All those things that mental, mental illness recovery requires every one of those things and more. Yes. We can find that when we're, when we have others we can journey with. And so I think Susie, what you're doing is just incredible. And, and the work you've done for years leading up to this and just being that one-on-one person, but now in a larger platform through the podcast is, Mm -hmm. is really incredible. Susie, my favorite question is this, because we have the Lord, so we do have hope, but what is something that has given you hope today? I was thinking about this earlier because as I shared, Will's not in a super great place right now, but he's safe. Mm -hmm. And I know that. Um, But what gives me hope is that I think back to five and a half years ago and Mm -hmm. where we were and where he was. And I see where he is now and even though he's you know he's depressed right now yeah he's not where he was five and a half years ago Mm -hmm. and i see the work that he has done Mm -hmm. because as you know stacy it is work full-time job (laughs) it is and the work that he has done and the tools that he has that he continues to to use and and the words i mean he talks to us he calls us and says mm-hmm. as opposed to five and a half years ago when we got a phone call from the principal because he didn't tell us mm-hmm. and that's a question i've never even asked him is well why didn't you just call us why didn't you tell us mm-hmm. but apparently he was afraid to or you know and i think a lot of kids are and i think a I lot do. of kids do go go to a school counselor or a teacher so for if there are any um, school teachers or counselors listening, I always say, know that you could be the first person that, that a child or a teenager mm-hmm. comes to um, mm-hmm. when they're struggling. But he does, he calls us, he talks to us, he tells us how he's doing. And I believe that he is safe. Um, I know that he is pursuing the Lord and as parents, there's nothing else that we could possibly want more for our kids. Yeah. Right. Is for them to have a relationship with God. And Mm -hmm. he is so much working on his relationship with the Lord. And that gives me a lot of hope. Absolutely. And even in his dark times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. And God doesn't tell us, Oh, well, we're never going to have any trouble. It's the opposite. He says, so when the trouble comes, because Mm -hmm. it will come, I -hmm. will be with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I believe that Will knows that. Mm -hmm. Um, And that gives me a lot of hope Mm -hmm. right there. That is hope. I mean, and if what we can't do is ever like go, well, compared to so-and-so, 
We have mm-hmm. to go, this is my situation. And yeah. I have hope in it because we weren't where we were yesterday, possibly. Absolutely. And that's huge. Yes. And I had a guest who said something so poignant and it has really stuck with me. She said, when you have a child and you could substitute that family member, spouse, whatever, Mm -hmm. with mental illness, you have to rewrite what you thought their story was going to be. That was so profound to me that, that I've repeated it multiple times since then. Like, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Susie, because I've experienced that too, but at the same time, what we see, what I feel like is that, okay, God, this is, this is not the path I projected when I was, when we were first married or, or earlier in our lives or where we thought we'd be. But there's maybe something bigger here than we ever expected even for ourselves that we could, that we could be a part of. Absolutely. Whether it's helping one, helping 10, helping a hundred, helping a thousand, whatever it may look like, that's something bigger. And and I do think this, I think as as we've talked about, and so so many people are saying now, Stacey, you hit on this too. Everybody's seeming to now realize we are in a mental health crisis, not only probably across the country, but across the world. Absolutely. And I think this is a new frontier for, for people. This is a new, um, doorway where God can plant seeds in people's hearts. Mm-hmm. The key is they don't, that they not feel rejected and feel like this is somehow a, a result of, of being rejected by God. This is something right. where we live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. We live in broken bodies, in broken minds, but, but God heals that, loves that, comes to us in that. One of the verses that I have really clung on to over the last few years is Ephesians 3.20. And you guys probably know this verse pretty well too, but it's to him who is able to do far more than we can ask or even imagine. Mm -hmm. And like, would you have thought eight years ago that you would be doing this podcast and all the people that you've reached because of, you know, your struggles, but you've been obedient and you've used your pain to be obedient and to help other people. And could you have ever imagined that? No. Like eight years ago? Oh, I couldn't have imagined this either. And I think, wow, like what God can do so much more than we could ever imagine. And it doesn't say it's going to always be pretty. Right. Yeah, that's true. But what he can do. And yeah. you guys are, are living examples of it. Well, so are you. And thank you Absolutely, for that, Susie. Susie. Thank you for what you're doing, for being a hope giver. Um, as we start to wrap up, would you just make sure people listening know how to find you, find your podcast, maybe find you on social media? What would be the best places to go where they could uh, listen to you and your story and what you're doing? So the podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts, which there are things I've never even heard of. I didn't know that there were all these different podcast platforms, but my producer, who is my son, Will, puts it out there. 
Also, you could go to the website, which is thejustamompodcast.com, and all the podcasts are listed there on the podcast page. I do have social media. I'm working on it. I'm not great at it, Uh, but I try to post like once or twice a week, both Mm -hmm. on Facebook and Instagram, the Just a Mom podcast. Okay. But that's it. That's how to, and I remember I just Googled that when you first uh, mentioned it to me a few months or a month or so ago, and it popped right up. So it's very easy to find Just a Mom podcast. Yeah. Some great stuff. Yeah. Um, You guys too. Something um, just as our listeners, would you please uh, pray for us? Um, We would appreciate that so much. We don't usually say, oh, we're speaking at this or I'm traveling to speak at Mm -hmm. that or we're writing this or whatever um, until it's solidified or if it's something that will pertain to you and your part of the of the world. Um, But we would ask that of you. um, And also of Susie's family, we um, do not take these you know, opportunities, these gifts lightly. And uh, the enemy doesn't like that we do this. And so um, we need your prayers that we Mm -hmm. could be covered, that our kids will be safe, that our marriages Mm -hmm. will be safe, that they will continue to um, reach out to the Lord and and their relationship with God as they do um, have trials in their lives also. We would really appreciate that. We pray for you as listeners to speak out loud, um, whether you follow, like, comment, rate, it doesn't matter. We still pray for you. If you do none of those things, typically, we still consider you to be a part of our community and we don't want to take you for granted for one second. Also, if you would go to speakoutloud.me and start following, we would appreciate that. If you're new to this podcast, if you would please go on and subscribe and leave a rating and a comment, what that does is it gets the word out. Greatly appreciate that. Also, we have a new website and it's at speakoutloud.me. We are just really thankful to Julia Radke Designs for doing that for us. She did great. So please go on and see all the ways that maybe we could serve you. Um, we would love to do that. That's why we do Speak Out Loud because we want to serve you in any way that we can. Also, if you need anybody to speak, Doug has a very different perspective than I do because I'm the one who suffers with mental illness. So I can only speak to my my part of it. And his perspective is pretty amazing. And um, just as yours is, Susie, uh, it's very helpful for me to hear from people who aren't the one with mental illness. Also, my book is You Are Worth Saving. Letters of Hope from a Desperate Heart. It can be found on Amazon. It's also an audiobook that you can find and download from Audible. Thank y'all so much. Thank yep. you again, Susie. Thank you, Susie. We appreciate Thank it. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. And to all of our listeners, thank you. And until next time, we're out for the Speak Out Loud podcast.